Hello and welcome to Facing Grace. I'm your host, Layla Schultz-Ames. On today's episode, we're talking about Black militant groups and their impact on the Black power movement. Stay tuned. I thought black militant groups would be an interesting topic to look at and analyze because there's not always a lot of information in U.S. history books, and if there are, it's not always accurate information. So I just sort of wanted to talk about the different groups out there and also just talk about their their messages and and what they have done for the the civil rights or the, the black power movement. So I think the first one to start with would, would of course, be the Black Panthers. They're also known as the Black Panther Party. And they were a political organization founded to basically challenge police brutality against the African-American community. Uh, Traditionally, they would be dressed in black berets. They had black leather jackets. And they are basically organized these armed citizen patrols of Oakland and later other U.S. cities. And at its peak in 1968, the Black Panthers had about 2,000 members and later, unfortunately, due to a lot of internal tensions and, and FBI involvement, they they separated. But if we look at the history, we know that the Black Panther Party was founded in 1961 by Huey Newton and Bobby Seale. They actually met while they were students at Merritt, Merritt College in Oakland, California. And the reason that they they became friends is that both of them were protesting the college's Pioneer Day celebration, which honored the pioneers who came to California in the 1800s, but it actually omitted the role of African-Americans in settling the the American West. So Seal and Newton formed the Negro History Fact Group, which basically was calling on the school to offer classes on black history. After that, they ended up founding the Black Panthers, and a lot of that was because of the assassination of Malcolm X, who was a Black nationalist, and um, it also happened to, around that same time, police shot and killed an unarmed Black teen by the name of Matthew Johnson. So originally, the organization was called the Black Panther Party for Self-Defense, And the early activities were really just primarily in monitoring police activities in Black communities around Oakland and the Bay Area. And the founders, Newton and and Seal, really drew on these Marxist ideas for the party platform, and they kind of wanted it to be similar to to that. They they basically outlined uh, a view that they called the 10-point program. And there's a lot of different things in there, but mainly the idea was end to police, putting an end to police brutality. They wanted better employment options for African-American, equal housing, and just overall justice for, for everybody. So one of the main parts and the main points also was Black pride. They really focused on Black pride, community control, they wanted unification, and they they actually started a number of really successful and popular community social programs. There was a free breakfast program for school kids, and they also had free health clinics in 13 African-American communities around the U.S., so that was was actually a really, really successful part of the, the Black Panther Party. They they also wanted to get more black elected um, officials, but that never really panned out. Um, but a lot of the work they did, as I said, it was really about about community building, and it was quite successful. So 
you're probably thinking, okay, that doesn't sound so bad. Why do the Black Panthers have a bad reputation? And, and what went what went wrong? So the Black Panthers were involved in numerous violent encounters with the police in 1967 one of the founders uh newton he allegedly killed an oakland police officer by the name of john frey he was convicted of voluntary manslaughter in 1968 and he he was sentenced to two to 15 years in prison and later on they actually reversed the conviction but that already sort of set uh set a few things in motion Another uh, member, Eldridge Cleaver, he was the editor actually of the the Black Panther newspaper. Um, Him and and one of the the treasurers, Bobby Hutton, they were involved in a shootout with police in in 1968 as well. Hutton died and and two police officers were wounded. So there were definitely run-ins with the law. There were also conflicts within the party that turned violent as well. In 1969, Black Panther Party member Alex Rackley was actually tortured and murdered by other Black Panthers who thought he was a police informant. And one of the bookkeepers, Betty Van Patter, she was found beaten and murdered in 1974. No one was actually charged with her death, but a lot of people thought that uh, people within the party were responsible. So that was a big thing. And then we had uh, the FBI. So the the Black Panther socialist message and Black nationalist focus really made it a big target for a lot of FBI surveillance. So there was a secret FBI counterintelligence program called Cointelpro, and they were really focused on the Black Panthers. In 1969, they declared the Black Panthers to be a communist organization and therefore an enemy of the U.S. government. And the first FBI's director, J. Edgar Hoover, he called the Black Panthers, quote, one of the greatest threats to the nation's internal security. So as as you can imagine, they were not not really big fans of these black people dressed in black walking around neighborhoods with guns. The FBI really worked to weaken the Panthers, and they, they really did this by exploiting a lot of existing rivalries between them and other black nationalist groups. They also worked really hard and then they were fairly successful in dismantling a lot of the social programs like the free breakfast for children and a lot of these other things that were were created by the Black Panthers. Um, in, in 1969, Chicago police ended up killing Fred Hampton and Mark Clark, who they were asleep in their apartment at the time. And uh, if you actually look or you, you read information about it, they they said around 100 or so bullets were actually fired. And the police had described it as this really intense gun battle and that several members of the Black Panther Party shot at them. But years later, ballistics actually looked at it and they determined that only one of the bullets actually came from the Black Panther side. So... It definitely was more of a police raid than it was an actual Black Panthers opening fire on the police. Uh, the, the FBI was not technically responsible for the raid, but the, a, a federal grand jury actually later said that they did play a significant role in the events leading up to the raid. So uh, they, they definitely had something to do with it. So between the FBI and between a lot of these internal issues, 
the Black Panther Party officially dissolved in 1982. Um, I, I should mention there is a new Black Panther Party. It's a Black nationalist organization founded in Dallas, Texas in February of 1989. And, and no, even though that's the month and year and city that I was born in, I didn't have anything to do with it. But the, the members of the original Black Panther Party say that there's no relation between them and the new Black Panther Party. So that's just one point to make, um, but they, they, do, they do exist. Um, that being said though, the, the US Commission on Civil Rights actually called the new Black Panther Party a hate group. So there's always, that's always a discussion, you know, kind of the idea of like, okay, why, what makes something a hate group? And also, why did the original Black Panthers group have such a bad reputation and, and all of that? So, I mean, I would say they really did a lot to help their community and, and they really threatened the government. Obviously, uh, the government doesn't like those type of, you know, what they consider to be communist groups. Uh, and the FBI was really successful in kind of spinning, spinning it and spinning the message and highlighting the, the violence and, and, and all of that. So uh, they were, as I said, successful in, in basically splitting up the group. And I think anytime you have these black groups that are out there, particularly if they have guns, uh, people do tend to get a little bit nervous. So I think it's a definitely an interesting interesting thing though to look at the black panthers and as i said there are a lot of uh documentary there's some documentaries books etc um, that talk about the origins of the black panthers so um there's definitely a lot of really good material out there another group uh, that is is also really fascinating is what was called move it was originally the christian movement for life and it was a militant black separatist group that really essentially they're advocating for just natural living, you know, kind of nature laws, natural living. It started in 1972 in Philadelphia by a, a, a man who called himself John Africa. His real name is Vincent, Vincent Leppert. Uh, but the, the idea was that MOVE was really all about just well, it was similar to the Black Panthers, but they also did a lot of work too with animal rights and you know clean, healthy living and, and and that type of thing. So they they definitely were all about kind of back to back to nature and and all of that. And and Move is particularly known for two major conflicts with the Philadelphia Police Department. In 1978, there was a standoff that resulted in the death of one police officer and injured 15 or 16. Uh, officers and nine members were actually convicted of killing the officer and they did receive life sentences and most notably was a 1985 incident uh, another firefight ended with a police helicopter dropping two bombs on the roof of the move compound and that fire killed six move members uh, and and five of their kids also ended up destroying 65 other houses um, in the neighborhood. So the police bombing was definitely that. That's probably what most people know uh, if they've heard of MOVE. They, they know about that. 
The police bombing was strongly condemned and actually the survivor survivors later filed a civil suit against the city of Philadelphia and they were awarded one one point five million. Uh, this was a settlement that came about in the mid nineties. And then other residents too, because it did affect not just the moot compound, they they also filed a civil suit against the city and um, that was finally settled in 2005, I believe it was, and they got about $12 million in damages. So, yeah, there is definitely a lot, a lot going on. But the movement itself, the, the group itself was really interesting. So John Africa, he had his move, his followers change their surnames to Africa to kind of show reverence, you know, to what they were, what they considered to be their, their mother continent. And... According to to a journalist uh, who who writes or wrote for the Guardian, he was writing a piece about the group. His name is Ed Pinkerton, and he described their political views as quote a strange fusion of black power and flower power end quote. So it was kind of that where it was mixing this idea of as I said animal loving nature hippies, but also with a little bit of black power as well. So it was a really yeah it was a really interesting group. Um, in 1981, move relocated to two um, row houses in, in in West Philadelphia. And right away, neighbors started kind of complaining. They said there's trash around the building, that there's a lot of political messages coming from the move members. They had a bullhorn and just a, a lot of police would, would stop by. So there is definitely a lot of uh, people that were not really happy with their presence in in that area. In in 1985, the police obtained arrest warrants for um, several of the move occupants, saying that they, you know, they had illegal possession of firearms, they made terrorist threats, they violated parole, etc. So the reason they initially showed up uh, on on that day, May 13th, 1985 is because they were um, looking to to arrest several of the, the members. So several police officers showed up. They were trying to um, get the members out of the, the house. They had um, arrest warrants. They managed to um, evacuate other houses, a lot of houses nearby, because they thought, okay, this might be a whole big thing. They ended up shutting off the water and electricity in hopes that that, you know, that would kind of force the members out of the house. Um, Essentially, what happened is there's an armed standoff with police. Uh, They end up throwing tear gas into um, the move compound. Several of the move members fired at the police. There was about an hour and a half to two hour gunfight. Uh, One officer was was injured. And in in doing research, I I found that uh, they said that police used more than 10,000 rounds of ammunition um, before the commissioner ordered that the compound should be bombed. So it was it was pretty, pretty intense. Um, So once the bombing happened, as I said, it killed um, five of the, the move members, John Africa. The leader, the founder, was one of them, and then there were also uh, several children as well that were in it. And um, the fire spread to to the nearby houses, so it definitely was a huge, huge thing. Um, f- interestingly enough, it actually took until three weeks ago um, that Philadelphia 
actually marked the city's, it was the first official day of remembrance. So uh, it was the first time that, that Philadelphia said, okay, we're going to have a day of reflection, observation, and really think about you know, what, what happened and, and what went on. And uh, last year, there was actually the first formal apology by the Philadelphia City Council. Um, they did apologize for uh, the city committing really was one of the, the worst atrocities, I would say, in, in America's racial racial history when we're looking at different um, racial violences and, and, and different issues. But uh, yeah, it, really, it, it actually, it's, it's surprising in some ways and not in others that it took uh, so long for for the city to, to acknowledge it. But uh, th- that being said, I, I, I will say I, I should mention the occasion has been a little bit overshadowed because last month they actually made a discovery. They found the bones of two of the five children who died in that fire and in, in the bombing. And apparently they had been held for, well, almost four decades in the anthropology collection of the University of Pennsylvania. So the, the children are thought to be uh, one kid was Tree Africa. He was 14 when he was killed, and the other was Delisha Africa, uh, who was 12. And the the parents of the kids were unaware that their their children's remains had been kept by the university as as artifacts rather than buried. And so, apparently, the bones were had been used as a case study in some of the online forensic anthropology courses. Um, and and the parents did not did not realize that. So there's definitely some things going on with that. But it, definitely good that this year and, and last year, you know, there has been some acknowledgement of of what's of what what happened in 1985. Okay, so in continuing to look at some of the black militant groups. The the modern, I guess you could say equivalent of the Black Panthers is this group that I heard about from CNN. And it's it's basically a group of armed black men and women, and they call themselves the Not Fucking Around Coalition, or NFAC for short. And they started in 2017. And the group is mostly in the South. They marched in Stone Mountain, Stone Mountain in, in Georgia. They were calling for the removal of of the nation's largest Confederate monument there. Um, They also marched for Ahmed Aubrey, who was the the black man who was shot by the two white men um, when when Aubrey was out running. Uh, They were also in Kentucky, in Louisville. They were demanding more transparency in the Breonna Taylor case. And they've also been out in, in areas in Louisiana as well. So... It's, it's definitely a really interesting group. There's, of course, a lot of, we've seen, you know, white groups or largely white groups that show up to different places and kind of assert their Second Amendment right to bear arms. But you don't always see this so much nowadays with black groups. So I think that's why they've received a lot of attention. And uh, in in looking at kind of doing a little bit of research for it, I I was listening to um, Tom Makatis, who's a professor of history at DePaul University, and he's also author of a book called Violent Extremists, Understanding the Domestic and International Terrorist Threat. And he said in, in talking about NFAC, he says, 
Quote, in one sense, it echoes the Black Panthers, but they are more heavily armed and more disciplined. So far, they've coordinated with police and avoided engaging with violence, end quote. So it's it's kind of an interesting mix. Um, basically, if you look at the pictures of them, they tend to be clad in black. They do raise their fists. They shout black power. And uh, there has been large-scale protests but in most of the cases it's really been without major incidents there hasn't really been a lot of of conflict but they do look similar to black panthers they have the black boots black pants they wear black button-down shirts nowadays with of course with the masks they have masks on they're usually black masks and then they all carry a shotgun or some type of a semi semi-automatic rifle so That being said, you know, there are, of course, always going to be some tensions or issues. Uh, At the beginning when they started, as I said, they marched on Stone Mountain in Georgia in in regards to the the Confederate Memorial. And of course, there were some white uh, groups, militant groups that were there basically saying, hey, like, leave leave this memorial alone. Like, this is part of our history, etc. So there have, have been a couple tiffs, but nothing, nothing huge. And it's also interesting too the history of the group. The founder is this black guy. His name is John Fitzgerald Johnson. And years before he kind of became the leader of, of NFAC, he was very active on social media and he called on a lot of followers to stand up for the black community, to really be proud of who you are. And he was also, I guess, a hip hop DJ and and music producer. So he was very, very active and, you know, spreading his message and, and all of that. So not a lot is is known about his life. Uh, he he's done several interviews, but he doesn't really talk about himself. Public records show that he served in the Virginia National Guard in the Army from the eighties up until um, two thousand six, and uh, he he's very active, as I said, in in the music community. And interesting enough, he actually unsuccessfully campaigned for the 2016 presidential election. He was uh, an independent, but he has had a lot of success with this group and he's kind of seen as the the general, the leader. So um, it's definitely a group that has drawn several hundred people to, to their rallies and People, we don't really know the membership size 100%, um, but we know that it's it's definitely becoming a, a bigger group. They're, they actually lowered the age to um, 18, and uh, you have to, mainly the requirements are because you have to be uh, black, you have to be yeah, 18 or older, and you have to have a legal weapon. So everybody has a weapon, but um, they all have have permits. So I don't know it's an interesting it's an interesting group as I said I don't know a ton a ton a ton about it but I think that is probably something that at least in the south is going to be we'll have to monitor and see yeah see if it becomes bigger and then see what type of uh, additional protests or activities they 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 do. So in addition to NFAC we of course have Black Lives Matter, and I don't think it's nas- necessarily a black militant group, uh, but 
I, I thought I would just talk a little bit about it. Obviously, I have mentioned it on previous uh, episodes, but yeah, I mean, Black Lives Matter is interesting because it's an organization and some people have labored, labeled it a terrorist group or a hate group and, and all of that. But I mean, the real root of the idea behind BLM is that it's well, a social movement and it's really about protesting against incidents of, of police brutality and and any type of racially motivated violence against black people. So there's no, you know, specific, I guess you could say, um, group. There's not, you know, militant part of it. Um, but it is, you know, it's an organization that's become international as well. There's definitely last year, you know, there are, there are a lot of, uh, we saw a lot of Black Lives Matter protests in all over Europe and, and as I said, all over the world. So there's definitely, definitely a lot there. And, and obviously it's a very successful social media, uh, group in that sense too. Um, in, in July, 2013, the movement, basically that was really the start of the movement, you know, with the hashtag, the hashtag black lives matter. And that was all over social media that really popped up after the, the acquittal of George, uh, Zimmerman, uh, in, in the shooting death of, of, of Trayvon Martin um, earlier in, you know, February 2012. So the movement, I think that that was a big part of it online. And then it became more of a national thing following the 2014 deaths of, of Michael Brown and Ferguson, and then later Eric Gardner in, in New York City. So since that time, since Ferguson, participants in the movement have really come out and, and, and protested. And we've had really every single year since then, you know, unfortunately there have been incidents of police brutality and there have been shootings and, and, and all of that. So, uh, it has been very active and obviously the movement returned to national headlines and, and gained further international attention last year, last May and June, uh, following the murder of, of George Floyd. So, uh, according to, to what I read, there's an estimated 15 million to 26 million people uh, that have participated in last year's and this year's Black Lives Matter protests. And that's just in the U.S. alone. So that's that's I mean, that's huge. That's one of the, the largest movements, uh, really. So a lot of it, the popularity, I think, you know, last year was a huge, huge thing. Um but there are, of course, you know, there's a lot, there is some negativity as well. Um, I was looking at a, a Pew Research Center poll from June of last year. It found that 67% of adult Americans expressed some support for the Black Lives Matter movement. Obviously, that was on the heels of the George Floyd uh, killing. Um, but later on, when they, they did a poll in fall of 2020, it showed that sub- support had actually fallen to about 50%. And mostly the decline was among white Americans. So it's it's interesting to look at. You know, there's some people that, again, they say, hey, this is a terrorist group or this is a hate group. There, you know, have been certain incidences over the years of people claiming to be, you know, Black Lives Matter and they have shot police officers or, or, or whatnot. But I, I think sometimes people will use certain things to justify not getting involved, uh, particularly when there's protests and sometimes property or, or things get 
you know, broken and people say, oh, well, Black Lives Matter is a violent group. They're just smashing windows. I'm not going to get involved and I don't support that at all. Um, Obviously, there are some times when things get out of control, whether it's a demonstration, protest, whatever, and there's always going to be members that, that say things that are not you know, in line with the the goal of the organization. But that being said, I I don't see it as being a a hate group. I think there's just a a lot of misunderstanding about Black Lives Matter. And I think there's a lot of misunderstanding too, you know, dating again back to the Black Panthers. I I think sometimes history, of course, changes things and, and it all depends on who's writing the events, who's talking about it. So I think, yeah, there's a lot of misunderstandings and, and uncertainties, but like all groups, there's going to be good elements and bad elements. And a lot of it is just figuring it out for yourself and doing the research and, and reading books and looking at documentaries and asking questions. But I think a lot of these groups, they definitely do have a place, you know, in in history, I think they have done a lot for the Black Power movement. I think that they've illustrated a lot of issues and really done a lot to highlight yeah, highlight problems in the Black community. So definitely, as I said, some really interesting, interesting stuff to, to look at. Okay, so today's Ask a Black Friend, actually, the question actually came about in one of my classes that I had last week. And for those of you who don't know, I teach at an American school um, just outside of Madrid. And I teach 12th, 11th and 12th grade U.S. history and American literature. And of course, my students have the the joy of always listening to me talk about uh, civil rights and human rights and women women's rights. And sometimes they're really into it. And sometimes I think they're just like, can you shut up about it? Like, okay, well, okay, we get it. But, you know, that's one of the things about being a teacher. We have to talk about uh, important life issues. But in any case... Last week I did an epi- I, I did a, a class rather um, centered around the song "This Is America" by Childish Gambino, and uh, we watched the the music video and we talked about different themes and they actually were really really into it. And so, my question that I posed the the, the classes is I said, okay, so what you know what are some of the themes you you take what what do you take away from this right? And so one of my students, one of my twelfth grade students, asked me. So, teacher, why is America such a racist place? So, I thought that was an interesting question because uh, I guess the follow-up question to that would be, well, is America a racist country or a racist place? So, I kind of see it like this. I think, first of all, every country has racist issues. Uh, Some countries definitely have way more than others. I think... The U.S. is a very interesting country in a sense of uh, it's it's very young. You know, it's still a very young country. But even since our beginning, we've dealt with this uh, relationship with others. You know, ever since Christopher Columbus, I'm not going to say discovered, ever since he rolled up in in America, you know, there was a conflict with the people that were actually there, the Native Americans. And so from the beginning, we had this problem where outsiders were basically coming to this land and saying, okay, 
I know that you've been here for X number of years, but get out because we're going to be Americans now. And so since from the beginning, there's been that conflict, right? And then even even into the 1600s, the 1700s, 1800s, America was created, but it was, of course, created on the backs of, of slaves and the backs of, of people of African descent. So that is the issue, right? That, that America is a country that has long had a lot of racial issues. And obviously we know as we move into the, the 1800s with the Civil War and the 1900s and, and, and so on and so forth, we have conflict after conflict. So I, I think it's hard to just paint everything with a, a, you know, just cover everything in one stroke and say, yeah, you know, this country's racist or this country's not racist. I think that, yeah, there are definitely... We can't help but say, yes, there's definitely a lot of elements of America that are racist. And I think it comes, it, a lot of it just dates back from early times, you know, from, from our history. And I think it also comes about from not wanting to acknowledge the past. I think there's a lot of what we we see as, as whitewashing right, of, of history where, you know, I read about uh, certain places a lot of it is in the South, not to pick on the South, but, you know, there's a lot of instances in the South where they want to change the history books, where they talk about slaves as, oh, they had a place to stay, and it was, they got food, and they got weekends off. It's like, no, that's that's BS, you know, that's, that's called what it is, it was slavery. And you see, you know, stories in, in history books about something like the Trail of Tears, or oh, the Native Americans, they voluntarily decided to get up and move to a different part of the U.S. It's like, no, let's, let's call it what it is. They were forced out, and, and it was a terrible thing. So I think some of that comes from us as a country not wanting to acknowledge and not wanting to talk about what has really happened over the last 200 or so years. And I think that's, that's really a, a big thing. Now, again, I think... The U.S., fortunately, we are moving into, you know, a better place where we are having these uncomfortable conversations. We're seeing people come out and in and, and droves to, you know, stand up and protest inequality and not just racial inequality, but also, you know, LGBTQ rights and, and really speaking up for for uh, those that are, are oppressed. And I think that's great. And that's something that you don't, you know, I've done a lot of traveling. I've been in a lot of different countries. That's something that you don't see in, in every country. You know, when I was in China, you you didn't see those types of, of protests. Or if you did, there was a lot of uh, a lot of issues, and a lot of, of violence. And it could, it could be a really, really big thing because the government really did not tolerate that type of free speech. So we are fortunate in a sense that in the U.S., okay, we can, we can speak up, we can put stuff on Facebook, we can, we can complain, we can organize protests. Uh, but that being said, you know, yeah, there's definitely a lot of, of racist stuff going on. Um, but there's also, I mean, I think it's, it's not just an American problem, you know, certainly... Uh, here in, in, in Spain, there's a lot of, um, it's not necessarily the same thing, let's say with police brutality, but there's definitely a lot, you know, of lessons to be learned here. Uh, I, I've talked about it on, on this podcast, but even something like blackface, you know, in Spain, they don't see that as, as bad or offensive. They see that as like, oh, you're, 
yeah, it's fine. You're just, put, you know, darkening your skin and it's flattering and, and it's not a big thing, you know. So I think there's just certain certain things like that, that uh, international racial issues, right, that, that we have to discuss whether we're in the U.S. Or, or Spain or Iceland or, you know, what have you. I think there's just internationally some issues. But, yeah, I mean, every single country has has problems but that's why we all need to to speak up and keep working so okay to end this episode i wanted to uh read a quote from a very uh prominent member of the black panther party fred hampton and he said quote we've got to face the fact that some people say you fight fire best with fire but we say you put fire out best with water we say you don't fight racism with racism we're going to fight racism with solidarity. I, I like that quote. I think that just speaks a lot to to a lot of these movements. So thank you so much for tuning in and listening. And I also have to say, I started this podcast one year ago. And it was an idea from my, my friend Olivia. And I'm really glad I decided to do it. I really appreciate all the support. I appreciate people uh, listening and coming to me with questions and suggestions for episodes and sharing it with their their friends and family and and posting it on social media. So thank you so much. Um, Keep listening, keep learning, keep sharing, keep talking, and I'll see you next week.